Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Another week, another week closer to the April 29, 30, and May 1 NFL Draft weekend. A lot of suspense building, not in the first two picks, but a lot after that. Uh, we've got a very interesting program uh, this week. We've got Paul Burmeister, my friend from NBC. We're going to bat around the issues of the day. And then we will have John Beck, who is one of a new sort of subspecies of person in the draft process. He's one of these, he's a former NFL quarterback, was a second round pick of the Miami Dolphins in 2007. And uh, he has morphed into a quarterback tutor. And this postseason, and for really for uh, the last year plus, he has been teaching Zach Wilson, the Brigham Young quarterback, due to be picked, likely, number two by the New York Jets. And he's also uh, been working with Justin Fields of Ohio State and uh, the North Dakota State quarterback, Trey Lance. And one of the reasons I wanted to have uh, John Beck on this week was basically to tell you what, what is, what is this, what's, what's, what's this quarterback tutor? What to this, this new sort of class of, of people in the draft, you know, Jordan Palmer has done a lot of guys over the years. There are others who who work with the quarterbacks, George Whitfield. But it's a really interesting way of getting guys ready, not just for the draft, but for the next step. So we will talk to John Beck, and he'll tell you what that whole part of this process is like. But first, Paul, a little bit of news this week in the NFL with the retirement of Julian Edelman from the New England Patriots. I don't know that a lot of people thought that he would come back after missing two-thirds of last season with a knee injury that just wasn't getting better. But what were your thoughts when you saw him uh, stepping away? Well, uh, first was I, I wanted to picture – I had so many good images of him, Peter, and I'd, I'd love to hear what, what comes to your mind first with him too. But I, I tried to sort through all of them and think, okay, what's my lasting image of this really, really good player from this last decade? And I was lucky enough to be on the sideline for the Super Bowl the Patriots won in Phoenix against Seattle. And he was just over 100 yards receiving that game. Box score looked really good. They won. But in the second half of that game, Tom Brady kept coming back to him on these difficult little look routes over the middle. And he kept getting drilled by Cam Chancellor. And I mean, Cam Chancellor was giving him his best shots is that yeah. Awesome safety back there. And you're really looking to, if you break it down from a safety point of view, like I want to knock the ball loose or I want to make him think about coming over the middle again and do it differently. He didn't get the ball loose and Edelman never changed the way he played going over the middle uh, in those last couple of quarters. So I'm going to remember that, not just the production, but seeing it that close and seeing the compete level and the toughness and the production on a stage like that. You know, probably my best memory is after he was the MVP of the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, that low-scoring game against the, the Rams, uh, I arranged to visit him the week after that game and uh, to do my column for NBC Sports on uh, this, this incredible game that he had and on this totally bizarre season. Remember, he was uh, suspended by the NFL for the first four games that year uh, for uh, testing positive for a PED. And uh, so 
and so it was a strange bookended year. You know, the guy who was suspended for the first quarter of the season had his moment of greatest triumph at the end of the season. So I visited him at his house. He, he has a home uh, actually in West Hollywood. And uh, it was just amazing, you know, to see him. He had his little daughter, Lily, with him. And it was amazing just to see him in his other world. Uh, but the one thing I remember about that trip is just time and again how every story about him came back to when he was growing up and he was driven by a father in California to be better than he should be. And he said, you know, it wasn't always fun in those days with a dad who drove you relentlessly. Um, you know, he was a baseball player too. And, and he could go three for four in a game and his dad would get in the car with him after the game. And, and the question would be, what about your ground out in the third inning? What, why, why, what were you seeing? Why didn't you, you should have hit it harder whatever. And for a while it drove Edelman crazy, but he said, I realize in many ways, that's why I am who I am today. And really when I think of Julian Edelman, I think of a guy who got every bit, every ounce out of his playing ability uh, that he could have. And to think that here's a guy who was an option quarterback at Kent State in the Mid-American Conference and was just a little guy. And the New England Patriots chose him as a wide receiver. And he caught 620 balls in the regular season. And then he was the second leading receiver in playoff history in terms of number of catches. So he had, I would say he had one of the greatest careers from where a player started yeah. to where he finished. And as I've been kind of sifting through my own thoughts about him and reading people I respect talk about him, after you get through the, the wonderful career he had, it's been brought up a lot the last 24 hours. Is he a Hall of Fame wide receiver? And I know you've been you've been a, a voter for the Hall of Fame for years, Peter. I always look forward to reading about uh, what you say about the process and how it's different each year. And I'm wondering, uh, not just about Julian and what he did in the postseason, but the, the way wide receivers are evaluated these next 10 years has to change because so many are going to come in with numbers that look like Hall of Fame numbers 10 years ago, but they can't all be Hall of Fame players. How do you judge him knowing that the numbers are inflated at that position uh, and also knowing what he meant to a Super Bowl winning team in January and February? I think there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And Paul, I've said many times that I absolutely I think it's absolutely vital to have that five-year waiting period after a player's career because it gives you time to actually think about it rather than just think about the, instead of just thinking about the emotion of it, um, you think about, you think about everything and the dust settles, you get a couple of years just to let things go. And I remember I was telling somebody today that you know, when Kurt Warner retired right away, I thought he was all a famer. Uh, and then after maybe six months, eight months, a year, I took some time one day and I looked at Kurt Warner's career and I said, you know, I'm really having second thoughts. And now I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. He has a five-year donut hole in the middle of his career in which he was benched. Uh, he was a backup. Uh, he, when he played, he didn't play great. And uh, I just thought, you know, even though he had the great moments at the beginning of his career, and obviously, uh, you know, winning a Super Bowl and playing great at the end of his career as well, I, I just, I, I didn't think he was. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought that I think he passes the sniff test to me anyway, because uh, if you're the quarterback of one of the greatest offenses in NFL history, you're the trigger man to that offense. And even though, even though it may have only lasted three years, um, if, if, if you're at the, at the absolute center of that and you're the big reason for it, and then you also, you've got a Super Bowl on your resume and you've also got some tremendous playoff accomplishments 
uh, later in your career on your resume. Um, I, I think he passed the smell test for me and I ended up voting for him for the Hall of Fame. Now, Edelman's going to be an interesting case because, uh, you know, his numbers really are not there. You know, he's 75th all time in receptions and that's only going to go down and down with 620. Obviously, he had the great playoff uh, numbers, great playoff resume. Then again, he he played a lot of playoff games. So if you say he caught all uh, more passes than anybody but Jerry Rice, I, well, why wouldn't he? He was on the team that played two or three playoff games almost every year. So, uh, and again, I'm not demeaning what he did there. But I think the one other part of this is the story is not a part of it. Um, you know, like if I talk about Kurt Warner, I'm not talking about, well, you know, he went from bagging groceries to being, a, a, you know, a Super Bowl champion. I, I don't mean that. The, 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 the story of Julian Edelman, to me, uh, is about a guy who, as we said, did everything humanly possible to be great at his position in the NFL. But at the end of the day, you also have to compare him to other players who currently are vying to get into the Hall of Fame. And one that comes to mind is Heinz Ward. Mm. Now, Heinz Ward has never been in serious contention to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, I've never entered any postseason where you're starting to think about it and think about the finalists and think that he was going to get in the room to have his case discussed. Um, and, and Paul, he's, he's got 380 more catches than Julian Edelman. He's maybe the best blocking wide receiver of all time, certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. And he's a Super Bowl MVP, as is uh, Julian Edelman. So hard for me to sit there and say, yep, let's put Edelman in and then say, oh, Heinz Ward wasn't a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, and, and I think, but I think the one other part of it is, and this is why I always say, of course you look at numbers and of course numbers are important, but I also think you have to look at his contribution to a great team. And that's the only reason why I would say I'd really like to hold off on Edelman for a couple of years, just because, you know, I, I really want to digest his role and how important a role he played on the greatest football team, uh, you know, really of the last, I don't know, 30 or 40 years, at least if you, or, or maybe uh, of modern times, if you think that what the Patriots accomplished in an 18 year span uh, winning six times is better than the Steelers winning four and six or the, or the Packers of the sixties winning five in seven. So those are the things I'll probably think about a lot in the next few years. I think it's a really good comp with Heinz Ward. And there is a very good argument, as there has to be for both sides, for these French players of why he shouldn't be. And if he ends up not being a Hall of Famer all these years down the road, Peter, players, nothing means more to them than the respect of the player and coach that they like the most in their own locker room. And Tom Brady, perhaps the best of all time. Bill Belichick, maybe the best of all time. They would rave wholeheartedly about this player. And if he never gets in, I mean, for a player to have that from the two people he probably looked up to the most in his right. life, I mean, maybe maybe you'd pick that anyway. I just think sometimes we, we're in an era when, oh, I think way too often, quite honestly, we, we judge somebody's career on whether they're, let's say, going to get into the Hall of Fame or whether they won X number of MVPs. You know, Julian Edelman can tuck himself in tonight and know that there's a very good chance the Patriots wouldn't have won those Super Bowls without him. Yeah. And that's that's why, in my opinion, all those other things are great, but his teammates know. His coaches know. Right. Uh, his owner, Robert Kraft, he knows. So uh, he, he's, he can take pride in knowing that he was an incredibly valuable part of a great team. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, 
Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Right. It's uh, kind of somewhat expected, but uh, also a surprise lead story, a fun one to kick around a little bit as this week gets rolling. When it comes to the draft, you mentioned a little bit about the unknowns and surprises. We don't really have them with the first two picks. And to a, to a certain point, Peter, number three, we don't really have it there either. I mean, the Niners are going to go quarterback. I guess, you know, which one is it going to be is some suspense. But the team that really has the high pick that is the true unknown for player and position is Atlanta at four and that's where we are this week you talked about it quite a bit football morning in america what's your gut tell you about a matt ryan replacement at four or not you know paul i wish i had a great field for that but the fact is um and 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 i i, I will tell you this the majority of people i have talked to let's say 10 people in the week before I wrote that column, 10 people around the league, the majority feel like they're going to take Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida. But when I say the majority think that, I don't believe they have, um, I don't believe they have that from either Arthur Smith or from Terry Fontenot, the coach or GM of the Falcons. And that becomes so vital as we get into this because the best teams around draft time are the teams that can keep a secret because it doesn't do the Atlanta Falcons any good for anybody to know what their pick is. Because let's just say there's a team that desperately wants Justin Fields, you know, the quarterback at Ohio state, and he's sitting there at number four and Peter Schrager, my friend from a good morning football had the new England Patriots trading up from 15 to four. Um, to get Justin Fields in this draft. And, and my point, uh, and I texted with Peter back and forth, my point is that I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots traded up. I would be surprised if they traded up to number four and gave up much of their next two drafts in order to get Justin Fields. Not, it's certainly not impossible. Um, it would not shock me, but it would surprise me because the Patriots usually don't do things like that. Um, I would, I guess I would make this point about that pick that if the Atlanta Falcons, um, want to get very rich, either from, let's say Chicago or new England, let's just say, I think they could do that. And so, and maybe even from Denver. So I, I think the, the Falcons want to make absolutely sure that they play their cards very close to the vest and don't tell anybody what they're doing so that they can keep all their options open. Now, I think Kyle Pitts makes an awful lot of sense. Matt Ryan most likely has got five or six years to go if he chooses. And if the Falcons still believe that he can take them to a Super Bowl, if they believe that truly, I don't, I wouldn't take a quarterback here. I would take either the best player or take uh, the biggest ransom I could get for the pick. What if they lowered that question to, do we believe Matt Ryan could get us into the playoffs and play in January the next two or three years? What, what if that was the the standard? I mean, that's the bar. I think, of course, they would say yes, don't you? Yeah, no, absolutely. And if that, if that mm. is, if inside the building, if that's a realistic goal instead of, I mean, everybody wants to win the Super Bowl, but if they said, 
I think Matt is a is our best bet the next two or three years to be playing in January. I mean, then then you would definitely build around him. I mean, all these other guys, I mean, all the rookies, I mean, it's it's a guesstimate if, if you can be performing in the top half of the NFL and passing offense, whereas you know you probably have that with Matt Ryan the next two or three years. I just I would err on the side of of keeping the guy who's still pretty good. Maybe he has a stretch of really, really good left in there too. And I probably would too. You know what, Paul? There's one there's one other thing though. If you do keep Ryan. You know, he's got two more years on this contract, and then you know that for the next at least two or three years after that, you're going to be paying him in the 40 or 40-plus 40 million range because, you know, even though you may not feel he's, a, he's a, you know, in the, in the Patrick Mahomes league as far as money, it really doesn't matter. When Joe Flacco, after 2013 – you know, when he got more money than anybody has ever gotten to play the game of football for one, you know, for one contract, it averaged 20, 20 million a year. Um, that just basically underscores how in quarterback money, okay, in quarterback money, it doesn't matter if you're the best quarterback. It almost only matters that you're like in the top 10 or 12. The hopscotch is going to continue. And while you may not get over Patrick Mahomes at however you calculate that, 48, 50, I don't know, but you may not get over him, but you are going to get in the $40 million range. And if you're Atlanta, you have to decide if you want to pay your quarterback that. Well, that's, that's true. And because I'm sure they're seriously considering taking that quarterback at four, they'll be well represented at the pro days uh, next Monday, the second pro yeah. day, Lance and Justin Fields. In the old days, not that long ago, all these teams could spend a lot of time getting to know, put these quarterbacks on the board after a pro day. I remember being at Jameis Winston's pro day and Ken Wisenhut in that group. Titans, I think, had a second pick that year, went with Jameis to another building, and I'm sure they got out a lot out of that half hour, hour, hour and a half. Can teams do that now on Monday with, with, with the COVID restrictions? Can they spend that kind of time with the player off the field? I don't think they can. I don't think they can. I think everything they do has to be done virtually, um, both out of a sense of fairness and out of a sense, you know, of being very cautious about COVID. Right. But whatever it is they're going to do, Paul, you know, I've, I, I'm, I watched a couple of uh, uh, a couple of position meetings last year um, when teams were installing their offenses. Um, you, you know, and, and couldn't be in the same room together. Uh, and I watched a lot of teams talking to their players. And then, as you know, on Zoom, you can basically put an overlay and you can, you can write on the screen and you can show exactly what you would show on, let's say, uh, you know, an overhead uh, in a team meeting room. And so... I think you're still able to accomplish pretty much almost exactly what you'd be able to accomplish being in the same room uh, with a, with a quarterback now. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking, as you were explaining that, how much uh, in my brief time with the Vikings, I used to get out of sitting next to Brad Johnson and just kind of watching how he took in the meeting, how he absorbed it. And I could uh, not copy what he was writing, but I, I could follow his lead as the, how to get the most out of a meeting. And these guys, they don't really have that example sitting next to them. No, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. That they're, uh, that, that they're missing out on. Yeah. I think, I think though, look, it's one of the reasons why when you saw the Philadelphia Eagles trade from six to 12, one of the, one of the unspoken reasons for that trade is that the Eagles feel like next year, how, whatever percentage, 30, 40, 50%, they're going to know so much more about the average prospect in the 2022 draft compared to this year because there wasn't a full season in college football. Their scouts couldn't go on campus. Um, many of the really good players didn't play. So you've got all these guys, many of them who you're going to pick in the first round, who have not played a football game in 400 days. 
And so I think teams like Philadelphia, when they did trade down to get draft capital for the future, I think one of the reasons they did it was they're going to have a lot more certainty in 2022 right. than, than 21. You talk about Philadelphia trading down. We were just talking about Atlanta theater. And I was wondering, as I've been reading all this about Atlanta, I know how it works when a team wants to trade up. When they have a player they want, they can call around and say, hey, we'll give you this. Right. To trade down, are you the team making that call to teams behind you and saying, hey, we'd be willing to, to get out of this pick if you want to come up? Well, there's no question uh, that I would, I'd be surprised if all the teams from about four to maybe about, let's say, 12, maybe with the possible exception of the Giants, because the Giants are not a team that moves around a lot. Um, but I would be surprised if, if, if a lot of those teams – starting, let's say, uh, on, on, say, the Friday before the draft, they're going to be calling every team and say, hey, listen, just keep us in mind. Don't make a move until you talk to us. If you're interested in coming up, we'll be reasonable. Um, and I also think more than that, there will be teams like, let's say, New England that will – I would guess by Monday or Tuesday before the draft, just begin to make calls and to fact find and say, what are you looking for if you're sitting there and you'd be willing to, to move down? Right. And, and, and like I said, um, I, I think, I mean, I, I've been thinking a lot about what I'm going to do in my mock draft, which is not for another week and a half, but I've been thinking a lot about it. And what makes sense to me is to have New England trade with Dallas at 10. That's around when you would think that if there's a quarterback left on the board, you don't want to let many more picks go by because somebody behind you, say Washington at 19, Chicago at 20, could jump over you to get that quarterback if they're interested as well. So you probably want to have some idea at that point, and you want to let Dallas know. Hey, listen, if you're not if you don't have your heart set on making a pick, make sure that you uh, you 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 talk to us. And at this point, it does feel like either Fields or Lance will be there at 10 with the way things have played out. Could it could be. But, you know, I this is such a weird, weird draft that uh, it, although it seems that one of them could still be there. I, I won't be shocked if somebody either jumps up like to eight or Carolina picks one or, or maybe Denver picks one. So I, I just think I think this draft is going to be really, really fun because a couple of things are going to happen that we truly do not see right now. Right. And they'll probably have to do with Lance or Fields. And yeah, really interesting guess that you have with John Beck, being that he's worked with both of these guys. But before you get to him, I've just been here kind of thinking, I wonder if Peter tried to get at if John liked one more than the other or if he sees something in one he doesn't see in the other. And he, of course, he wants to speak well of all of them. But did you did, did you have a, a mindset to try and get some of it? Well, I'm talking to him later on this afternoon, so I haven't okay. talked to him. I haven't, I haven't asked him that. But from, from my conversations with him, um, in the last couple of months, I have a feeling that even if he felt that way, he probably wouldn't, wouldn't share it. Um, but, but I do think one of the things I like about John Beck is that he's a relentlessly positive person and, uh, he is going to explain to all the players, Hey, look, in 2007, the Miami Dolphins told me that I was the future at quarterback, and that ended pretty quick. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take advantage of your opportunity. Don't let don't let any time go to waste because you just you never know how fleeting your chance is going to be. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward. I'm gonna soon as we uh, finish up, just in a few minutes, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get to him. So it'll be interesting. Paul, I appreciate you taking the time this week. Um, you know, I think next week, as I think about my column for next week, 
I think I'm just going to try to do as much gossip as I can, as many things as I hear, because it's what everybody's curious about right now. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully next week we'll have some fun, fun little tidbits to uh, to bat around. No better time to focus on gossip than uh, the couple of weeks before the draft, Peter. So uh, well played there. Yeah. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. My thanks to Paul. Now let's talk to John Beck quarterback tutor for three of the top picks in this year's draft. So we're back. Happy to be joined by John Beck, the uh, second round pick of the Miami Dolphins in 2007. And now he's moved on post-career to run uh, a very uh, reputable, very popular uh, quarterback tutorial service, 3D QB with Adam Dato and Taylor Kelly in Southern California. And the list of quarterbacks that are using 3DQB is huge. But for the purposes of our session today, John, we'll talk about some of the quarterbacks you're tutoring to prepare for this draft. Obviously, Zach Wilson, the Brigham Young quarterback. In addition, uh, you've worked with Justin Fields, the Ohio State quarterback. He has his second pro day uh, on Wednesday of this week. That's when this podcast will air. And then on Monday, next Monday, the second pro day for the North Dakota State quarterback, um, who I think is just, uh, you know, an absolutely kind of fascinating uh, quarterback. Uh, and, and I think that that right now, so many people, we are going to get to all of the quarterbacks in a moment. But I think so many people right now are so concerned and so interested with uh, all of your quarterbacks, but probably no more. Uh, it, it, there's no no quarterback that people are more interested in than Trey Lance of North Dakota State. So we'll get a good discussion going on all three of your quarterbacks. But I I think first of all, what really interests me about your career is people really forget that 14 years ago. You were in the shoes a lot in the shoes of a lot of these young kids. You were a prime quarterback prospect out of Brigham Young. You got picked 40th in the draft that year by the Miami Dolphins, who had just finished a two-year run with Nick Saban. And so they were wiping the slate clean. And on the day of that draft, I don't know what you thought, but I thought, hey, John Beck, they got their quarterback of the future. So you've got a really interesting story about how that went. And I just, I'd love our listeners to hear it. Well, you're right. That's how I felt as well. Uh, when I got selected, it was a really exciting day in my life. Um, all those years of hard work from a kid all the way up, you know, through college with that journey that all quarterbacks go on, right? It's that dream that you set when you're a little boy saying, I want to play in the NFL someday. And it's a really cool and special moment when you have that dream realized and you get to hear your name called or you're on the phone with the head coach and the general manager. And they basically are saying, you know, we're picking you to be our guy. It was exciting. The first time I went down to Miami, I flew there right after I got drafted. They sit you down. They, you know, you go through the whole media blitz with everybody. The coaches talk to you and the, you know, you walk in the head coach's office and he said, I'm really pumped to get you. You know, this is going to be an exciting thing. There's a lot of hard work ahead, but we believe you can do it. Those are all exciting things. Um, you know, the reality of the situation is, and I really try to, 
get this message across to all the quarterbacks that I train through this process is that you do not know the situation that you're going into and you don't get to pick the situation you're going into. And although I was extremely excited to be a part of the Miami Dolphins, excited for the prospects of being the starting quarterback for the future there, that's not the reality of what took place. Um, there were a lot of difficult times throughout that year. We had a starter in Trent Green that got injured. Cleo Lemon came in. Then we're Owen, I believe, Owen nine or Owen ten. I become the starter. Like that's the reality of the NFL. But the great part of that story that you once told me is that, you know, they told you, "Hey, listen, you're going to sit this year, and then you know we you're going to just absorb everything this year, right. and then the roof caves in, and all of a sudden you're part of the caving." <laughs> That is exactly true. Yeah, I can remember, you know, they said, we're going to put you their exact words where we believe that the Aaron Rodgers and Philip Rivers plan is the best plan for a quarterback to develop in this league. You need time to learn our offense. You need an adjustment period to adjust to the NFL game and to play the way that we want the quarterback to play. And so our plan is the the exact words were Philip Rivers and Aaron Rodgers plan. And we don't see you having to play uh, this year. Uh, Trent Green is our guy. That's why we brought him here. Uh, we don't know what year two looks like, but like this is the plan. And you're right. It went from a plan. And of course, you know, as a quarterback that's, you know, played, hey, you know, I always got to prepare like I'm the starter. It's not like I slacked at all or I wasn't still going through my like, like my reviews or taking tape home. I still did all those things. But yeah, all of a sudden, you know, the season just starts looking a little bit different each and every week. And with each loss that keeps building up and mounting and the you know, you have the player run meetings and then the coach sits everybody down. How are we going to you know, turn this ship around? And then, you know, your starting quarterback gets injured and then he's not coming back for the year. I mean, all those things just start happening. And then players that were traded away that were, you know, Wes Welker was traded for a draft pick that year. Chris Chambers was traded for a draft pick that year. Two really key weapons from the season before no, are no longer on the team. And it's for the future. But you're wondering, what does the future hold? And it's a I mean, looking back now, it's definitely a wild experience. Like in that moment, I was just a naive rookie in the NFL with eyes wide open, just wondering, you know, is this normal? <laughs> but that's how it goes sometimes. The, the, the thing I thought, one of the things that at least, you know, when we have had discussions about this, I think the fact that you're able to have the kind of perspective that you can say to, to a young quarterback, um, that essentially you have no idea and you have no choice about what you're getting into. And, you know, we'll talk about Zach Wilson here, but see, I really wonder, Zach Wilson, he's a kid who grew up in this semi-small town in Utah, Draper, Utah. Um, you know, a big, big event for him as a kid was going with the family to see the Utah Utes and, you know, to go see a football game. And they had tickets on the 50-yard line. And then, you know, when he goes to college, he goes to BYU. So he's been in this sort of Utah bubble in his, in his life. And he grew up there. He went to high school there, went to college there. And now he's going 2,200 miles away to a place where on the back pages of the tabloids, they're already screaming, Broadway Zach. And hey, Zach Wilson, no pressure. They just want you to be the next Joe Namath. And and by the way, they've drafted about 30 quarterbacks since Joe Namath, and none of them have worked. <laughs> so good yeah. luck. But how do you handle that? And let's use Zach Wilson as an example. But how do you talk to him about the weight of expectations? I think all quarterbacks in the NFL have to deal with expectations. I think that there are definite some cities, some media markets that place more of those expectations and pressures on the quarterback than others. I believe there's organizations, uh, whether it's a New York organization or whether it's like my situation in Miami, where when you walk in the building, there's two gigantic pictures of Dan Marino and Bob Greasy. And what's Miami <laughs> trying to do? They're trying to find the next Dan Marino. And every quarterback knows that, right? And you know, if you watch like a Monday night football or Sunday night game, I always get a picture of somebody that I coach Pop Warner or somebody, whatever. Hey, they take a snapshot of the TV screen of the like 17 quarterbacks or 20 whatever quarterbacks that have taken a snap since Dan Marino. And, you know, there I'm up there. So I get it. Right. Uh, and that's just part of the game. When you decide to play quarterback, expectations, pressure, all those things are a part of the game. When you get picked to a place like New York. That's just that just comes with the job. 
And I think for Zach, it's going to be about understanding it's not about him the second he shows up meeting all those expectations. It's not about him needing to be fully aware of the expectations that are already there. He already has that awareness and he doesn't need to worry about that. It's not about adding more weight to your shoulders. It's about actually how can I play free? How can I play as if there's not a weight there? That takes practice. That takes mental training. Uh, It's going to take some ups and downs. Quite honestly, he's going to need to experience some things early in his career that then when he steps back and reflects on those, he will grow as a human being and as a quarterback in the NFL, and he will be able to handle those better the next offseason, the next season. Nobody shows up to this league ready for all those things that they're going to face. So the the other part of Zach Wilson that that interests me that you have you've done a lot with him on is that one year ago Zach Wilson was a uh, was a uh, was battling for the starting quarterback job at Brigham Young. He was in a three man competition for the starting quarterback job at Brigham Young. So take me into last off season. <clears throat> the COVID off season when, as I wrote recently, you know, seven or eight times he got in his car in Provo and drove to see you in Southern California for maybe a long weekend or maybe longer than that. But, you know, that's how desperate he was to really make his mark. Yeah. I, the season before he was the guy, right. And it just didn't end like they wanted. They, they finished with a loss against, San Diego State and a loss to Hawaii in a bowl game, right? So the coaches open it back up. The cool thing is the way that Zach approached everything when COVID hit. It was the first time, and this doesn't ever happen in college, where the players, they can't be there. So what he did was he said, I'm going to take full advantage of this opportunity. I want to be there as much as I can to improve the most I can. And one aspect of this that, that sometimes gets forgotten is that heading into his sophomore year, it was all about rehabilitation from a shoulder surgery. The year going into his junior year, he was healthy and he got to really push himself. But you're right. There was a quarterback competition. The coaches made it that way. And during our workouts, the emphasis was on improvement. The emphasis was on the the, like the things that he could utilize from his experience to make better decisions, to recognize, hey, I am a really good athlete, but I don't always need to lean on that so much. What are some things that I can improve on so that as I move in the pocket, I, I don't escape one pressure leading into another? All those were things that were set for him to just play a solid, successful season. So these things that are taking place, it's really that old adage of if you just put your head down and work, good things happen. And that's quite frankly what Zach did. He was not concerned with the NFL status. He wasn't concerned with what list he was on, you know, a Mel Kuyper list or a Todd McShay list. That was so far distant for him. It was something in the future. He just wanted to have a good junior year and put his head down and work. And now all of these things that are happening are really the fruits of those labors. What's he like as a student? A student of the game? He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. Loves the game, loves to study. It soaks it up. Uh, You know, I I mean, he always has that dang iPad with him. He's always just like watching tape. He just loves it. When I would spend time over at his place when he was training here and he had an off afternoon, it was, hey, let's spend some time together together. And when I would walk in the house, the iPad was already out. And I know it wasn't there to prepare for our meeting. Like, oh, hey, I got it out because I know we're going to watch. It's because it was already out. That's just the way that he is. So, you know, whatever team gets him, they're, they're, they're going to love the student of the game that he is. Did you know that when he was on some of these trips to see you, that in his off time when he was there, he's doing DoorDash to make yeah. money? Yeah. Yeah. He told us he would tell us some of the stories that he had of door dashing. There's some pretty interesting stories of people that door dash. But yeah, he would tell us he's like, hey, I'm down here to train. uh, And that's my number one reason why I'm down here. And when I have time off, uh, you know, I I don't have like a set job back in college. So it always helps for me to make a little bit of cash here and there. Uh, So I'm going to do that. I'm going to door dash. And he would say, yeah, I, I, I door dashed for like five or six hours last night. The funny thing is, is there's a lot of people in Southern California right now that receive their DoorDash from (laughs) wherever he ends up, you know? I forget. I think it was the offensive coordinator at Brigham Young told me that uh, one guy last year when, I guess, uh, during the summer when when they were practicing, that Zach would do it at night, you know, after, after practice when he had a couple hours in Provo. And one guy, I guess, one time said to him, oh, my God, I just got my dinner from Zach Wilson. 
he's our quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think, you know, I mean, Zach's really good at time management. Uh, yeah. I mean, he really knows how to put the most important things in first. And, you know, for him, it's football all of the time. And he makes sure that he takes time for that. And then when he doesn't do football time, he's not just like loafing around, killing time. He's a very productive human being. A lot of that is driven by his own productivity and efficiency in sports, but it carries into other things. Um, so for him, he was like, it's time unoccupied with anything football related. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to go make some money. He's a thoughtful kid. He always wants to do nice things for his family members. I know there was a few circumstances where he was earning money to get some stuff for his parents. Um, I know also he's a, you know, a thoughtful kid in terms of recognizing how much his dad does for him and that his dad was covering a lot of these bills. And he felt like, you know, I want my dad to know that I'm grateful. And so, you know, I can buy my own flight. I can facilitate it. So my dad doesn't have to, you know, buy my flight and I want to, you know, buy my own flight. If I fly out here, I mean, he's a really good solid kid. And, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Some, some of those stories of just when I hear from other people of that, he would do the same thing in Provo. That's just the type of person he is. When you think of him being in New York with the Mike LaFleur offense, which is a lot of, obviously it's, you know, he's worked with Kyle Shanahan a lot. What do you think of Zach's fit in that offense and from what you know of the conversations and the, the Zoom meetings between Zach and the Jets, how are they going? I think it's a perfect fit. Um, when you look at what Zach brings to the table and what this is going to go all the way to Mike, you know, what Mike wanted in that offense when he was utilizing it in Denver, in Washington, the things that he feels. Mike make, Shanahan, you're talking about. Mike yeah. Shanahan, what makes right. that offense the best? Remember, Kyle. Like Kyle's a believer in his dad's system. Kyle's coached in that system for a long, long time. So he knows exactly what works. Um, and then you got underneath him, right? Then there's there's Matt LaFleur, there's Mike LaFleur, there's Sean McVay, and they're all they all recognize what works best at offense. And I think it's a if I could have handpicked from the offenses that I know well which one would fit Zach best, it would absolutely be that one. He brings such a skill set to be able to get out on the edges, to be used in the keeper game, the play pass game. He can drive balls in very small space off unique platforms as he's moving. He's also a guy that can recognize a coverage and then be able to throw two throws almost within the same hitch because of how he gets this great shoulder turn and flickiness. So I think, I think it's a great fit from my understanding. The interviews are going really good with teams. You know, the jets are getting an opportunity to know Zach as best they possibly can outside of, you know, being able to do a private workout, right? Like normal years, they would be able to fly all their guys out there, sit yep. down in a room. Well, they don't get that this year. So these, you know, these Zoom meetings, it's a huge part of if they choose to pick Zach, this is how they're going to get to know him. And uh, I've, so far, it sounds like they're going really well. What's the culture shock aspect of it going to be like for him? We've talked about that, about the culture shock and how different it is. Look, it's just a reality of the United States, right? There's different areas of the United States that are different. I've shared with him my experience of growing up in Phoenix, Arizona and going to Utah and all of a sudden I'm in Miami, right? And there's a difference there. And we've talked about what it's going to be like for him if, in fact, the New York Jets do select him of just – he's been to New York before. He's been to Jersey before, but he was going as not living there, right? He's there to visit New York as a, like a, a, a tourist. Uh, this time it's going to be different, right? And uh, we also talk about if they do select him, just how different it's going to be in the media, uh, Provo, Utah to New York is a very big difference in terms of how the media uh, covers their football team. Uh, there's look something that I think BYU does a great job of is there's a quarterback tradition there because of the guys that have gone before the Gifford Nilsons, the Mark Wilsons, the Steve Youngs, the Jim McMahons, the Ty Detmers, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, like there's a lot of great quarterbacks in there. So there's an expectation that I believe when you play football at BYU, it does prepare you for the expectations of the NFL. But that being said, it is magnified when you get to the NFL. Those media markets are bigger. The intensity of the way that they've maybe you can say scrutinize the quarterback, it is different. Um, but I think that he'll be well prepared for that. There will be a culture shock. There will be a shock of him of being so far from home. He's a family kid, grew up in Draper, went to BYU. He's very tight with his siblings, with his parents. And it'll be the first time that he's a long ways away. But I think, you know, for any young man, those opportunities when you leave your family and you really grow are great for your personal development. And I believe that he'll be able to mature in a lot of areas and it'll benefit him as he goes to lead a team, wherever that is. Uh, so I think outside of football, it'll be a great experience within football. 
if it is the New York Jets, I think it's a great fit and a great opportunity for him to grow because, you know, all those guys that come into the league, they do need to grow into NFL starting quarterbacks, into leaders of an NFL franchise. I don't believe there's very many guys that just walk in off the college campus and show up to their pro right. team and ready for all that. Let's talk about Justin Fields for a minute. I'm I'm really interested in him. And look, John, I'm not a big college football watcher, but I watched Ohio State Clemson. And I was watching the game because I really wanted to see this matchup of quarterbacks. And I mean, it wasn't much of a matchup. Justin Fields was the best quarterback by far that day for a lot of different reasons. But what impressed me so much about him is how he took one of the all-time shots that a quarterback can take in the middle of the second quarter. And he goes out of the game. He gets hit in the ribs. I don't. I said, oh, my God, that guy, that guy is not – he's not coming back. He misses one play, comes back throws four touchdowns after that, outplays Trevor Lawrence, and obviously Ohio State wins the game. was really, really impressed that day. And fast forward to the controversy of a couple of weeks ago when, you know, does Trevor, does Justin Fields love football? Is he a hard worker? And I was thinking to myself, that just really doesn't sound like the guy who I'm watching, right? The guy who I watched on TV. But tell me, about him as a person, a worker, and what you've seen in him in the time that you've worked with him. Well, you're absolutely right. He was a warrior that night against Clemson, and he battled continuously after that. Most people won't know this because they didn't have an opportunity post-January, right after those games, to be around him, but we did here. He still was unable to be 100% for weeks after that last game that he played in. That's how That's how severe that rib injury was. That's how you know, the things that he played through. When somebody plays that way, that shows just how dedicated they are to their craft, to their team, to being a competitor, right? Like to me, when I see that, I think ultimate competitor. That's what yeah. NFL teams are looking for. They want somebody that wants to go out and compete so bad that no matter what shot they take, no matter how bad it hurts, or even if they themselves know that they're no longer at 100% and they're out there at 82%, they're walking out on the field because they want to be out there. So my, in my experience with Justin here in California, he's been great. He's shown all the traits that you need to have to be an NFL starting quarterback. He's shown the work ethic. He's shown the desire to, to stay late. I mean, there are so many days that we finish the throwing session. He walks over, grabs a drink, grabs his football, walks right back out and says, hey, I just want to hit a few more things. I just want to feel this. I want to work on that. And I had times with him that he said, hey, can I come in on the off day and work on some extra things? Absolutely. Hey. I just got this, you know, information from this team. I want to go over it. Can you come help me go over it so I can learn it the best I possibly can? To me, that demonstrates somebody that has a great desire to want to be the very best he can and that does absolutely love the game. And I think for whatever team picks Justin, I think that they're going to love the way that he approaches the things that he does and the way that he approaches improving in his craft. That's a, that's, that is a good, um, a good summation of him, and I appreciate you doing that. What what would you say uh, that is important for him at this pro day tomorrow? I think it's be himself, right? It may seem like this pro day is there to convince somebody that's on the fence of a decision. But to me, that's not what it's about. To me, I look at it as there were so many pro days that all happened so fast. And these teams could only send so many people, right? So they had to pick right. and choose on that day of who went, well, there's no individual workouts. There's no private workouts. What about these teams that really want to dive deeper into somebody, but they don't have the opportunity? To me, it's just about another opportunity in a very strange year to give more teams a chance to see you. So I just think for him, and we talked, it's just about going out and doing like what you did on your pro day. You don't have to do anything different. You put together a great pro day. You've worked extremely hard over these last couple of months. You had a great two years at Ohio State. Uh, you went to the playoffs every year, like teams have already seen you on tape enough. All they want to do is they want to stand in the same building as you, see you 10, 15 yards away and watch you do what you do. That's all you got to do. So to me, that's, you know, that's it. One or like a throw here or there is not going to convince somebody uh, that's sitting on the fence. It's about just them getting to see you live. I wonder when you look at his style of play, is there an offense 
uh, among the teams, you know, like uh, San Francisco, uh, maybe Atlanta, uh, Carolina, New England, Chicago. When you think of maybe even Denver, when you think of all those teams that might be in contention to take them, does anything jump out to you as a, as a team that would be a particularly good match? Well, I see uh, a similar skill set, like some of the things that I described that offense likes, uh, the Kyle Shanahan, what they're going to be running in Atlanta. You know, uh, here's the thing. There are quarterbacks that have skill sets that can fit in a lot of offenses, right? What that quarterback needs is time to develop within that offense. Um, are there some elements of the offense that we've talked about that I think is just a simple, easy fit for the things that Justin brings to the table? Absolutely. But because he has so many skills, there's a lot of offenses that would love to have a player like that. I think that there's some teams that, you know, maybe they didn't think a guy like Justin would be, you know, in that spot where they could draft him. Maybe they're sitting at yeah. like, you know, uh, those picks between like seven, eight, nine, ten, right? Like, well, we never even thought we would get a potential for a Justin Fields. But maybe however it shakes down, there's a chance. Or maybe you have some teams sitting like a New England or a Denver who says, can we bump up a couple spots to make sure we get him? Absolutely. Do I think he could still be a great fit in those offenses? I do. Um, when I see a Kyle Shanahan offense um, and the coaches that coach within that system at, at other organizations, I see so many things that Justin does. And I say, wow, that fits those offenses really well. And those coaches, when they watch him on tape, when they watch him throw, they can see things that would be, you know, great utilized in their offense. Yeah. Um, Trey Lance is interesting to me because obviously, you know, he's played only one game last year and, uh, he, he's, and, and it's, it's at a division one double a level, whatever it's called now. Um, and I wonder when you have gotten to work with him, does he seem precocious a little bit beyond his years? Does he seem like he's ready to take this huge jump, even though he probably hasn't had the sort of requisite time in the saddle at that level that you'd like? I love the energy that he brings. Um, you can feel his desire, his drive. Um, I wasn't the one that got to train him leading up to his uh, pro, day. pro day. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've been able to be around him for a few weeks. Um, in, in, in my time with him, the, the word that I use is eager. You can sense and feel his eagerness in everything that he does. He recognizes the position that he's in in terms of opportunity and also in terms of the reality that he's coming from, right? He recognizes the time that he spent. This is how many games he played. He can't change anything about that right now. He missed pretty much his entire season last year, not by his choice. The one game that he played in was pretty much because he worked really hard to get that game. Uh, yeah. I know that if he could have played the whole season, he would have absolutely done it. Right. So it's one of those things that, uh, you know, unfortunately the circumstances that the world was in last year, took games away from Trey. There's nothing he can do about that. But he's eager for the opportunity that's in front of him. He works really, really hard. I love the attitude that I feel around him when he gets on the board, when he watches tape. Um, to me, you know, you can say, oh, well, does he have all the experience that he should have? Of course, you, you can jot down a number and say, hey, it'd be great if he had this many starts. He doesn't. Does that mean that he's not going to be ready? Does that mean that because of that, he's a leg, I mean, he's a leg behind some of these other people? Who can say that, right? Um, sometimes you see quarterbacks that wait their time, buy their time. Mac Jones had to wait his time, has played one season at Alabama, and is now going to be a top pick, right? So you can't necessarily say that it's all just by the number of starts. But to me, I like his approach. I believe that if you want to be successful in the NFL, you have to have a process, approach, a mindset, and the people around you need to feel that. And I absolutely do feel that from Trey every time I'm around him. Give me an idea of how much time during an average day you spend on the phone with NFL coaches, GMs, assistant coaches um, who are trying to really do deep downloads into the players you're working with. I'm guessing my wife would be the one that would probably actually be able to nail that on the head because there are a lot of times <laughs> where she's just like, you are on the phone all day long when you're not at work. I mean, look, for me, because I, I love football, right, and I love those conversations, they just roll. But, you know, this time of year, it happens a lot. We've been fortunate, you know, here at 3DQB to have the opportunity to train a bunch of guys. You know, we haven't mentioned them yet, but Kyle Trask and KJ Costello are two more quarterbacks that we've been training. We've had Kyle 
from the get-go in January all the way up. And there's a lot of teams that have reached out to me on his behalf. So there's a lot. Yes, you're right. I mean, most of the times that I come off the field, I'm usually on the field from about 7 a.m. to a little after 12 or 1 o'clock. And when I step off the field, I always have either voicemails, text messages, all that stuff to get back to. And quite honestly, I, I don't always have enough time in the day to get back to all of them. But uh, it's exciting because it's all for these guys, right? Like these guys right. have worked hard. They've earned that. They've earned those opportunities for teams to be calling and saying, hey, tell me about this guy. And it's great for me to have an opportunity to share all the positives. And I'm very real with these coaches, right? Like I want to see all those guys, Zach, Justin, Trey, Kyle, KJ. I want to see all of them succeed. But I know because of my experience, not all five of those guys are going to go to perfect situations for them. Not all of those guys are going to go to great playoff caliber teams. The reality is they have a journey ahead of them. And the more that I can help those coaches know who they really are, the things that they're good at, the things they need to work on, how if I could keep coaching them, what are some of the things that I've seen and how I can give that to their next coach that will help speed up that process. That's, to me, the huge value in my time talking to coaches, to GMs, to scouting departments that's going to help them develop their players. I want to see all of them go somewhere where they can be developed like they need to be. Kyle Trask is sort of an interesting prospect just from this standpoint. I've just assumed all along that, you know, he's probably going to be, a, I don't know, low two, three, somewhere in there. I don't know. But last week, two teams said, hey, I've heard uh, there's a couple of teams down low in the first round or trading back up from high in the second round uh, might be coming back to get Kyle Trask. And I said, wow. First round, six quarterbacks in the first round. I mean, you don't know. It's kind of funny. I I did a an exercise last week that, you know, I looked at how many quarterbacks are getting picked, you know, like number one overall this year and comparing them to a generation or two ago. I mean, when Boomer Esiason was drafted in the NFL in 1984, he was the 37th overall pick. And he was the first quarterback picked. And the next year when Randall Cunningham was the first quarterback pick, he was the 38th pick. And so you're talking about life has changed drastically to people. The reason why I think, John, it's fair to say the reason you have a job and the reason that your phone is ringing for 16 hours a day, it's because of the desperation of NFL teams to find that guy. Yeah, I think they're looking. I think uh, like you and I have talked before, this is a really interesting year for the number of quarterbacks that are either exiting the league, changing teams. The yeah. number of, you know, I mean, it's it's really a changing of the guard uh, in the NFL uh, for a lot of these franchises and the quarterbacks that they've been used to having. Um, you know, I think here's the thing that always comes into quarterbacks and when they're picked, it comes to the team, right? If you go to all 32 teams draft board, they're probably going to have different orders for all their guys. Right. And so really what it comes down to is, is that guy that they've had their eye on there or do they have a higher grade for somebody that they didn't anticipate to be there and he's still there? Or is there somebody where they say, we don't want to wait. We see a lot of value. Maybe we can jump up and get him. I think that the change in the rookie deals has impacted that. I think with also the size of contracts being signed now by quarterbacks for their second deal with how big they are, that also impacts it. You know, there's the business side of pro football that is always there where teams have to try to put together the best team they can within a budget. And so if you're looking at where's the most value I can get in a quarterback nowadays, it's in a young quarterback that has right. a second contract yet so if you can go reach up and grab a guy that you believe can be your starting quarterback and do it as a rookie and have him for a handful of years before you have to pay him that really big second contract that's a huge value to your team john beck of 3dqb really appreciate you taking the time and educating us about uh this fun business and this very very fun draft that's going to come up on the weekend of april 29th thanks so much yep you're welcome peter great talking to you Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. 
Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. My thanks to John Beck, to Paul Burmeister, and we're getting into a pretty hot time of year now, so make sure you you listen to the podcast next week. You read Football Morning in America. I'll try to pass along some good gossip next Monday in the column. And uh, for those who are mock draft aficionados, I'm really not, but uh, I am one, one week a year. Uh, my mock draft is going to be in my April 26th Football Morning in America column. So make sure that uh, you're up bright and early or uh, wherever you live on this planet. Uh, that'll be up in the wee hours of, of, that, of that morning. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening this week. Look forward to another The Peter King Podcast next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.